Good morning. It is a privilege to actually be in front of you <laughs> this morning. I think Shane's a bit jealous of that, but I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> uh, when we, like the Rhoda was put together for this, I don't think, um, oh, I didn't think at all that we'd actually be t- together. I, I assumed uh, I would be preaching to a camera again. So I'm, I'm just delighted to see faces, well, most of your faces and uh, your eyes at least, because uh, it is, it's just such a different uh, different thing. So in light of that, if we do go back on lockdown, we'll always, but be, do pray for whoever is speaking, but particularly if they're speaking to a camera, uh, it, it's super hard. You've been turning your Bibles to Philippians. We're going to continue to work our way through this book. So we're going to be in chapter 1 again. Uh, Andrew will preach next week, and he'll continue in Philippians. And as I had said last week, uh, when uh, we are up on the road for preaching, we'll continue to work our way through the book of Philippians. As you turn there, I want to uh, think about the word agenda. So sometimes we hear about and talk about people who have agendas, you know, like, she's only doing that because she has an agenda, or he's only saying that because he's trying to advance his agenda, uh, as if somehow all, you know, underlying intentions are bad, because that's what an agenda is, right? It's a, it's a motive, it's an underlying intention, and it's kind of thinking like, it's, well, they're only bad, you know, when you kind of, and it, I, it probably depends on which word you use, but the word a, agenda can kind of seem like a negative word. Uh, I remember I was, a couple years ago we were in the States and I was at uh, this engagement party and one of my former students was there. So I was a teacher for many years in the States and so now those that I taught are these young adults and it kind of makes you feel really old in, in that sense. But uh, he was there and we were chatting and he would have professed faith in his teenage years, but then he's in his early 20s and he seemed to have walked away from following Jesus. And so we were, we were chatting and I was just trying to learn, and, and, you know, and his journey in this and just trying to, you know, just to, to, to listen. Uh, but I did start to push back a little bit. And I recognized, well, I'm not going to see this young man for years. And I, I, who knows? I haven't seen him since. And so I figured, well, I, I might as well push back a bit. And maybe I would have not if I would have seen him regularly. And you kind of be a little bit more gentle or tactful. But I pushed back on some things and just kind of challenged. And eventually, I actually, I think he was surprised. He was happy to chat. But I think he was surprised when I said, I said, I have, I do have an agenda, you know, in, in talking to you. Uh, and the, the agenda really is, is love. It isn't just that I want to kind of bounce ideas back and forth or that, uh, you know, it's just I want to be right, so I'm going to argue my point with you. But I, I love the young kid. I love the young man who is standing before me. And if I believe what the Bible says to be true, and I do, and if I believe he needs to be rescued from his sin, and I do believe that, then, then love would be what, what pushes me out to engage with him in those ways and to talk to him. I know the world will say that, that love does not push our own ideas and beliefs onto people. That's what the world thinks love is, is you just kind of, you do your own thing and I'll let you do your own thing. But that's really a lie and we need to recognize it as that. It's not uh, anti-love to push ideas and beliefs on people. 
or share ideas, especially even just to share them, that can be like a negative thing to, to some people. Um, because if we believe the Bible to be true and people to be lost to eternity if they haven't turned to faith in Christ, then most certainly we should have an agenda of love when we talk and when we're with people. Uh, people are not projects, and we would never want to think that. And if you're in this room now, you're not a project. It's because someone has loved you uh, and they have shared truth with you. God has agendas. Some we know, some, some we don't know. Um, some will be revealed through time. Uh, some might take eons upon eons upon eons before we actually recognize certain agendas. He has underlying reasons and motives for the things that he does. And so the Philippians here, they're super concerned about Paul. They're very concerned. They love each other. If you remember, if you listened last week, that they love each other deeply. There was a deep affection for each other. They've sent money. They've sent people. Uh, they want to hear how Paul is doing. They're really concerned on how he's doing because they love this man and they know he's in prison And when they would start reading verse 12, which we're going to look at in a second, that they would have thought that they were about to hear all that they were concerned about, that Paul was going to let them know how he is doing and what's going on, and that like some of their fears might be might be realized, some of them might be relieved. You know, they they weren't sure. Um, But the Philippians did not get what they expected. They want to know: Is he hungry? Is he tired? Uh, what kind of prison is he in? How is he being treated? But the amazing thing is, is that Paul doesn't answer these questions. He doesn't tell them how he is doing. He tells them how the gospel is doing. He doesn't tell them how he is doing. He tells them how the gospel is doing. Look at verse 12 of Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul, you're killing us. What happened to you? We want to know what happened to you. He's like, whatever has happened to me. (laughs) You know I'm in prison. Whatever, all those circumstances, uh, they're just there to advance the gospel. Paul's basically saying, I'm not navel-gazing, and I don't want you to navel-gaze. You know, navel-gazing, you're looking down, you're seeing yourself, you're looking at your circumstances, you're wallowing your self pity. Poor me, look at me, I'm alone, this is hard. I know a lot about navel-gazing. I've had a real struggle with looking at myself and my circumstances and self-pity a lot in these last months, a lot in this last week, to be honest. I mean, it's amazing. I'm totally preaching to myself this morning as we look at circumstances in our lives. But it's so easy to navel-gaze. Just look down at yourself and get caught up and Paul. He's like, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Surprise, Philippians. All the mess and tragedy and pain and suffering that I've gone through has actually been used by God to advance the gospel, God's agenda, advancing the gospel. So that's one of the things we know. God has an agenda to advance his kingdom, to advance the good news, to advance the gospel. He's saying, I'm in chains, but the gospel is running free. It's marching forward. It's heading onward. I might be in chains, but the gospel is not doing that. So we need 
to lift our eyes, brothers and sisters. We need to lift our eyes when we're in circumstances, the good and the bad, and have a better perspective on what God is doing. Igman read from Isaiah 55, and verse 8 there, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I don't know, um, it's hard to follow um, in a reading sometimes when there's distraction because we're kind of all getting settled. But the verses right before that, I don't know if, if you caught it, the context of what he was reading, it's right after Isaiah speaks of God's compassion to abundantly pardon. Is actually the verse right before, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Uh, and so the way that I pardon, he's saying to Isaiah, the way that I pardon is not the way that you would. The way that I sow compassion, the Lord says, is not the way that you would show compassion. You think, we think, our circumstances are only painful, the, bar, the hard ones, the painful ones. If you're a child of God this morning, our circumstances are so much more than painful or hard or frustrating. They're so much more than that. God's compassion and pardoning and redemption and love flow through our circumstances both to the world around us and to us. His ways are not our ways. And Paul shows us a couple ways that this is true. And so first, we need to lift our eyes. We need to lift our eyes and see that our circumstances help advance the gospel among unbelievers. You may think and want to believe that the best way that God can advance his circumstance or advance the, the kingdom is through what we perceive as, as the good circumstances. And that might be in the church. You know, there's loads of money being given. There's, there's, there's buildings being purchased or built. Services are being broadcast on the internet and television. And like, you know, those are just great circumstances for a church. Or maybe, maybe you think that your own personal circumstances, the, you know, the, 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 what we, we deem positive circumstances are the ways that God's really going to advance his kingdom well. So, I mean, you have good health, which means that you can be active and out and talk to people about Jesus and your good health. Or you have no financial worries, so you're not distracted uh, for evangelism, or you're able to give more money. Or maybe you, your family is just unified. And so you can be this beautiful display of the gospel to your neighbors. And that's the best way that God would have us to Uh, be a part of advancing his kingdom. The problem is, is that's all worldly wisdom. It's worldly wisdom when we start to think that way, when we start to think that, oh, yeah, these positive means, however we define positive, are surely going to be God's means to advance the gospel. Advancing things with money, buildings, or technology, good health, good finances, good family, that doesn't equal success. The world might think it equals success, but it doesn't equal success. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter there, he asked them this question. He asked them, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And it's a great question for us to ask ourselves. Sometimes when we start to get into that place of, well, surely this is the way that things should be working because this is, this is success. But what does that mean? 
The testimony of the Bible is that God works through the hard and the impossible to advance his purposes. How does God preserve mankind when judging the earth? He asks Noah to build a really big boat and he shuts him in and he keeps him there for six months. It's not very easy or very pleasant. How does God show his people who uh, is actually rescuing them from Egypt? Well, he does some miraculous things with some supernatural plagues. He, he, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Uh, Pharaoh then does release them, but then Pharaoh gets angry and starts pursuing. And what does God do? He leads them to the edge of the Red Sea where there's no hope of escape. And you've got Pharaoh and his army pursuing after him. And then he parts the Red Sea. God likes to work the impossible. Could have been a whole lot easier circumstances, I'm sure, that God could have put in place to rescue his people from Egypt. How does God, I love this one, how does God begin the conquest to the land that he promised Abraham? He tells the people to go march around the city of Jericho, blow some trumpets and shout really loud. <laughs> and the walls will come tumbling down. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Why? Because he gets the glory. How does he remind his people about this? Time and time again, there's many places of that, but one of them is with Gideon. He's got 32,000 men. They're going to go attack the Midianites. And what does God do? He says, that's too many men. There's too many of you. We're going to dwindle that down a bit. It goes smaller and smaller, and then he's got 300 men. And he says, now you're ready. Now go attack the Midianites, the thousands upon thousands of Midianites. Because who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And we like to think, our worldly perspective likes to think, well, no, you need more men. 32,000, you need 50, 60, 80, 100,000 men. And then you're really in a place of success. Do you think those 300 men were scared? <laughs> I, I think so. Do you think they were comfortable? I don't think so. And so God's agenda, his, 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 the circumstances that he uses are not always what we think. Look at verse 13. Again, we're, we're, we're lifting our eyes. We want to see how is God advancing the gospel among unbelievers. So all this happened to me as it really served to advance the gospel, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul's awful, impossible circumstances have been used by God to show the entire imperial guard why he's there. And it's not just that he's there for Christ's sake, but he's actually a part of the suffering of Christ in the middle of this. So he's saying that his tragedies, the hardships, the pain, the sacrifices, those are actually opening doors to reveal Christ to those around him. That's humbling and sobering a bit of our circumstances. Do we, do, we, do we lift our eyes? I'm totally preaching to myself right now. I just, it's so hard to preach sometimes because I see that I'm like, you know, you're not, you're not living what you're preaching. But are we lifting our eyes and recognizing that whatever circumstances that we might be in, short-term or long-term circumstances, that maybe it's those hardships that God is actually using to advance the gospel among unbelievers? And when I say maybe, I don't really mean maybe. I can pretty much guarantee it. Because God is sovereign. 
Can God use your poor health, your broken family situation, your loved one's suffering? Can he use the loss of a child or a spouse to advance his purposes? Can God use a COVID-19 pandemic to advance his kingdom? Yes! He, he actually can do those things. He actually does do those things. And he continues to do those things over and over and over. It is these very circumstances that give us the opportunity that opens doors to share Christ, that allows us to comfort our neighbors when they're suffering with the same thing. And they can see hope in the midst of their suffering. We, we might be the hope that, that they see. Second, we need to lift our eyes and see that our circumstances actually advance the gospel among believers. You might say, wait a second, why do, the, why does, why do believers need, need the gospel? I thought the gospel was something that I just believed in a moment and, you know, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm good to go. And the answer to that question is no, I need the gospel every moment of every day because the gospel is not just an idea or something that I like, ascend mentally to, it's a person. And I need Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the gospel. He is the good news. And so I need him every day. And Paul's saying to them, his circumstances not only have revealed all of of, of these truths to unbelievers, but also it's happening, something's happening in believers. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They're more confident in the Lord because of Paul's imprisonment and they're speaking more boldly without fear. What? Paul's imprisoned and suddenly they're more bold and courageous? That is not the way that we would normally think. Normally we'd think, well, surely he's in prison for doing this. Why would I ever want to be doing this if Paul's going to prison for these things. God's ways are not our ways. These believers, are they're, they're, they're lifting their eyes above the circumstances and seeing that God is working. And it's good for us to surround ourselves with, with people that encourage us in this way. What believers inspire you to press on, to share your faith, or to be bold? We should surround ourselves with these influences so that we too can become those influencers so that we can be the ones that are encouraging people to be bold and courageous because we're willing to lift our eyes and our circumstances and to sacrifice for the gospel our circumstances are constant tools for god's mysterious ways they're constant tools for god's mysterious ways he uses them to draw unbelievers to himself and believers to sanctification. And that's what he continues to do over and over again. Today, he's going to do it with your circumstances and he's going to do it tomorrow, just like he did it yesterday. Some of you have probably heard of Elizabeth Elliot. She and her husband Jim were missionaries to Ecuador in the 1950s. Uh, They, along with four other couples, they really desired to reach some of the native tribes in Ecuador for Christ. These tribes, some of them were not even um, connected to the outside world at all. And so it was was very challenging work, and some of these tribes were very violent. 
And to make a long, beautiful story really short, Jim and the four other men who were, I just want to say their names because I think it honors them, uh, Ed McCulley and Roger Yodarian, Pete Fleming and Nate Saint, and then Jim Elliott, those five were speared to death by the same people who they were trying to reach with the gospel. Jim and Elizabeth had only been married three years. I think he was 28. They had a little girl. By all standards, uh, these were purely tragic circumstances. Tragic circumstances. Lives were lost. These five women lost their husbands on that day. Children were fatherless. Nine kids lost their dads that day. Nine kids lost their dads, never to see them again that day. Never to see them again. How? How could any good come from that? Those are the kinds of questions we ask ourselves all the time. And they're honest questions. And it might not be about someone else's life. It might be about our own life. Like, how, God? Why, God? How can you use this for good? Well, story's a great example. Elizabeth Elliot lifted her eyes. Lifted her eyes above the circumstances. And she took her daughter back into the jungles of Ecuador. And there she faithfully loved those who killed her husband and her friends. And she, along with others, over time, continued to share Christ, and many came to know Jesus as their Savior. Do you think this tribe started to understand a little bit that Elizabeth's losses were for Christ? Just like the Imperial Guard knew why Paul was in prison? It wasn't just that they were there for the sake of Christ. They were suffering along with Jesus for the sake of the gospel. And that's not even where it ends. So yeah, shows they were uh, advancing the kingdom among unbelievers. But this event advanced the gospel among believers because thousands of believers over the decades since have been inspired, challenged, and emboldened to take the gospel to the ends of the earth because these five men died that day and because their wives pressed on in faith. It's pretty amazing when you think of those circumstances. God took tragic circumstances and he used them for beautiful purposes in the lives of both unbelievers and believers. Now listen to me very carefully. Nowhere is Paul saying that suffering is good and that God is the author of suffering. He's not saying that at all. We hurt, we cry, the pain is real, the suffering is great, uh, and there's still just much mystery in it all, and we're not going to understand it this side of heaven. So you can't just explain it away, and you can't say, yeah, I know God's good. That's not that easy. So it's complicated and it's complex. And we're not to pretend that everything's fine when we're suffering. We live in a broken world and we need to expect that suffering is going to happen and tragedy is going to happen. Things are just not as they should be, which is why Jesus came. He's going to make all things new. Suffering and hardships are a given, but for the believer, our suffering has purpose. It has purpose. 
Your circumstances, are they're not thwarting, they're not changing, they're not suppressing God's will for your life. They are God's will for your life. And that is hard to swallow. But if he is sovereign and truly God, then, then nothing is surprising to him. Not a single thing is surprising. The lesson is that God is victorious over our tragic circumstances because he can redeem them for good. He buys back our circumstances and transforms the hardships and pain to salvation and growth. It's beauty from ashes. Only God can do that. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, no way, Steve, you just don't understand. My circumstances are too hard, they're too deep, and they're too difficult for God to use. But we have to remember that the worst, most painful, and most terrible circumstances that anyone of all time ever endured was the Lord Jesus. He understands circumstances. He left heaven for earth. He left sinlessness sinlessness to enter a sinful world. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was hated and he was killed. But even more than that, the wrath of God was poured out on him for us. How can he take my circumstances and mold them into good? Well, he died for sin. He died for sin. He died for the sin that caused my circumstances, whether it's my own sin or it's others' sin or just because we live in a broken world. His circumstances advanced and completed our redemption. The worst circumstances of all time were used by God to complete buying us back to himself. So if we doubt that he can use your circumstances, we just need to look back to Jesus because he can and has and did use his circumstances and we believe right we looked at it last week and are sure that he who began a good work in us will bring it to the complete completion at the day of jesus christ so brother and sister you remember you will never say in heaven this is really hard and i i wrestled as i wrote this we will never say in heaven oh i wish this never happened to me I wish that I had a different life. I wish that those years of my life were erased. I wish that 2020 never happened. I wish God skipped over COVID. And that's probably not even the worst thing that's happened to you. We won't actually ever say then that I wish those things never happened. Because it's the very life that you're living now that God's, that's God's design to make you more like Jesus. It's the life you're living now that's God's design to draw you to him in the first place, and it's God's design to make you more like Jesus through your circumstances. And so, then, in hindsight, we won't look back and be like, oh, I wish that never happened. Because we can see then that well, he, he was making me more like his son in the midst of that. It's the very life that we're living now that God's using. Remember Romans eight twenty eight. It's a great verse. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Why would we wish something away that was worked for good? Why would we wish it away if it was worked for good? Why would we wish something away that makes us more like Jesus? We, we won't say those things then. So... I'm talking about then, in glory, in heaven. Now, 
it's right, it's right to pray for deliverance. And it is right to ask for healing, and it is right to ask for relief. Paul asked God to take a thorn in his side, wherever that was, from him, and God didn't. And what does God say to him? My grace is sufficient. In the midst of our waiting to see how God answers our prayers, we must believe that he is working the hardship for good. But you can ask for it to be taken away. There is nothing wrong with that, and do There's no shame in that. And we see it all over Scripture, particularly in the Psalms. David asked for relief all the time. So now, that's our, but we still need to lift our eyes even in the middle of it and see that our circumstances are not purposeless. We need to lift our eyes. Point two, which is much shorter than point one, <laughs> we need to lift our hands. We rejoice when Christ is exalted. Look at verse 15 to 18. So some some people were more bold to speak the word without fear. And he says in 15, Some indeed of those people preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Some of the agendas of those that were preaching with new boldness were with bad motives. They had selfish agendas. Some were preaching out of goodwill. They had noble agendas. The first group is proclaiming Christ from selfish motives in competition with Paul. They actually wanted to hurt Paul more with proclaiming Christ. They thought Paul would see their success and be jealous. The second group is proclaiming Christ out of love. They are in solidarity with Paul. They're partners like he talks about in a few verses before. Here's the wild thing. Paul says, I rejoice in both. (laughs) I rejoice in both. Now it's important to note that these people were all preaching truth. It was Orthodox, solid, true, right, good, gospel truth is what they were preaching. It wasn't, they weren't false teachers. Paul addresses false teachers all over the place in his letters. Uh, They're not Judaizers. They weren't saying that you need to add anything to the gospel. They were actually preaching the gospel. They were just some preaching out of selfish motives. And Paul says, I can lift my hands. And I can rejoice that Christ is being preached even if the motives are not right. There are going to be churches and there are going to be people that you disagree with and that even hurt you. But if the gospel of grace, the good news is being preached, we we actually can still rejoice. We can rejoice. We can rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed. There, there may even be people who mentored you or taught you, pointed you to Jesus, who, who have walked away from the faith. That doesn't mean what they taught you was invalid. It just means their motives were bad in the end. And so we can still rejoice in those things. Because God is victorious in all circumstances. 
And those circumstances are being used to advance his kingdom. It's mysterious, yes. It's otherworldly, yes. But if Christ is exalted, we can rejoice. And that's what Paul wants us to know. That's what the Lord wants us to know. Paul's reminding us that we have had hard things happen. We will have hard things happen. And a lot of that, almost all of it, is outside of our control. But just as he was thanking God in the section above for the outward and inward work that was happening in the Philippians, we too can have perpetual joy as we move out in faith, knowing that our circumstances are being used by God to advance the gospel both among unbelievers and believers. And where Christ is exalted, we can have joy because he's worthy of exaltation. He's worthy of exaltation. You see, Jim Elliot, the missionary that was murdered on a beach in the jungles of Ecuador, he and his friends, they had guns with them that day. They were, they were carrying guns that day when they landed on that beach in the jungle. They, but they had already agreed that they would never use them on people. That's not why they had them. For they knew... They knew that they were ready to die, but they also knew the people they were trying to reach were not ready to die. They talk about entrusting your circumstances and lifting your eyes. That's what they did. They entrusted their circumstances to a faithful father. And when it cost them their lives because they wanted to see Christ exalted, I don't think now they're in glory. Do you think they'd wish that away? Now knowing that there's a whole tribe of people that have come to faith and that there are thousands of believers around the world who have been inspired and challenged in their faith to go, do you think that they're regretting what happened on the beach that day? I can't imagine that. They're with Jesus right now. And they're looking at their life and they're realizing, even they were young, most of them in their 20s. I think they look at their life and they lift their eyes and they lift their hands and they say, praise be to Jesus. Because our circumstances were awful and that of our our wives and our kids were awful. But look at the fruit. Look at how he advanced the kingdom through those circumstances they lifted their eyes and they lifted their hands and we can do the same we can do the same brothers and sisters so be encouraged be encouraged that even in your circumstances today and whatever they are tomorrow and whatever the ones we don't even know are coming today or tomorrow that they are not purposeless but they are used by a sovereign almighty god to work good for you. He's working good for you through them. I'm going to pray. I, I went long, so we're not going to um, do, uh, do communion today. Um, but I'll just pray, and then I think we can... The sun is shining. Um, we, can, we can gather outside in small groups of some kind. Brendan can explain that if you need to. <laughs> I don't remember how that's supposed to look. I'm going to pray. Um, and it's been good to be together. Father, thank you. 
God, that you are sovereign. And Father, forgive us when we navel gaze and we just look at our circumstances and we just feel pity for ourselves when in reality you are at work and you never have stopped working. God, we can rejoice in that. And we can rejoice that through those circumstances, Jesus gets glory and he is exalted. And so, Father, give us perspective. Just as Paul was trying to help the Philippians to see perspective, we need perspective today, God. Pray for anyone here right now who, who are like those tribal people who aren't, they're not ready to die. And, and they will wish something very different in the end. When they see Christ, he's worthy of exaltation. And when they see that they can too find hope in life and in their own circumstances. Thank you, Father, for your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.